Hello everyone, welcome to the Hyderabad Hiccup. I'm Kritar Jha. I'm Saurav Sen Gupta. And today is a first for us. We've interviewed a professor, Dr. Tarun Jain. And, uh, Who teaches at uh, the International School of Business, IIT Hyderabad. Hyderabad. And we had a lovely chat with him. Uh, what you'll hear in this podcast is very involved empirical economic analysis made accessible to a very general public. Um, no thanks to us. <laughs> yes, we, yes. Were, we were just listening uh, <laughs> as intently as you will, hopefully, uh, to Dr. Jen's uh, breakdown of his uh, very interesting research. And uh, I think it's lovely, like... Um, Sort of, you were talking about Freakonomics, and yeah, you must so, have really uh, liked this. No, so, uh, I mean, uh, that's been a huge part of uh, my life, right? So, for example, I don't know things about economics, but you kept, so, for example, you rec- recommended Freakonomics to me, and I eventually also kind of listened to their podcast a lot. So, to me, it was something, I mean, I was just wondering, it was so, it was really great. So, Freakonomics is applied economics, essentially, with a little bit of you know, well, very well written uh, takes on applied eco- economic theories and papers and whatnot, maybe. And uh, it was very interesting to see that we had it right over here, right? We had it in Hyderabad and very localized research, like research in Hyderabad and about Hyderabad. And such a wide range. And such a wide range. So right? from e- literacy to... Yeah, uh, how, how language mother tongue affects learning outcomes to yes. how vocational training can be made better... To even some of some more out there experimental work on how corruption can be reduced. So yes, and uh, you you call, I mean that is a term, right? Economics of history, specifically. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, just looking too. into history and seeing its economic aspects was very interesting. So yeah, yeah. So, so it was very freakonomic for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, for and, lack of a better uh, term. And word. just so in so happy that. This is from Hyderabad, so it's yes. not someone in San Francisco doing it, yeah. but right here in Hyderabad. Yeah. And by the way, like each of these uh, things that he's going to speak about is, like, is is a research paper in itself. Yes, right. It's ba- I mean, it's based on a research paper in itself. And you bit. can find it on his website as yeah, well. You can find it on his website. So without much further ado, yes, uh, let's go ahead and listen to Dr. Tarun Jain. Let me start with the background of what I'm trying to do with my research uh, and what's motivating a lot of this uh, research. Uh, You know, what's happening in India is that we're going through this massive demographic uh, transformation. India has always been a large country. Many people live in India, that's true. Uh, But the generation, the generation of young Indians today are going to be the largest generation of people in human history. And the kinds of choices, skills... Uh, capabilities that these young people have, perhaps, you know, many of the listeners of your podcast uh, is going to basically determine the future of India and perhaps the future of what's going to happen to the human beings in the future, right? So uh, so I think of that as a pretty important problem to work on. Uh, and uh, uh, that's basically what I'm trying to achieve with my research. And if, you know, I can make a contribution in terms of uh, increasing skills, increasing education, increasing health amongst young people in India, I'd be super thrilled that, you know, that's that's the contribution that I made with my life. Yeah. So, um uh, you know, you can also, if you want to be pithy about it, say that this is helping people achieve their dreams, but you're, they're not going to achieve dreams unless yeah. they're well-educated, well-skilled, healthy, so on and so forth. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's the big picture. But uh, if you want to be a little bit more uh, microscopic uh, about it, uh, one of the key things that uh, people have remarked is that uh, you make, have to make sure that uh, young people have both education, 
high quality education and the ability to convert that high quality education into jobs and uh, you know important livelihoods that make sure that they're happy uh, what you're seeing around the world is uh, many countries have young people the us the uk uh, you can see this in the uh, arab states uh, many young people are reasonably well educated but they don't have a lot of work which they think is being fulfilling to them sure. and so uh, there's social unrest that is caused uh, there's disruption to political order uh, there's uh, you know questions about what should be this kind of policies that we should come about and uh, young people are questioning that uh, so i think uh, in order to have a stable society to have a prosperous society it's really important that uh, you know folks in hyderabad and yeah. around india are well educated well skilled and be able to convert those skills into well-meaning well-paying jobs yeah. right um so uh, in this the question is what works yeah exactly yeah and the answer is a lot of things work and a lot of things don't work right and uh, the researcher's job is really to uh, sift through a lot of this to think about you know is it that say improving the quality of schools matters well obviously that does but is it that we should uh, motivate teachers more to show up and do a better job should we have better textbooks should we have technology in the classroom should we have smaller class uh, you know class size what is it that is really important if you want to get good education uh, and so what researchers have gone out and done is to conduct uh, careful studies often based on a lot of uh, micro data to understand what works and what doesn't work in education and skills now of course like many people have been driving around in hyderabad i live here yeah. right and i would often see these uh, ads sometimes stuck on like uh, is the side of the road that says that uh, do you want to learn how to speak english uh, won't you be so much cooler uh, if you learned english and you yeah. know this is sort of tugging at people's social ambitions and aspirations yes. but also that you'd better get a better paying job if you learn english so uh, you know, we're speaking in english right now. now so it's not surprising that uh, and i teach in english all my students are learning in english so it's not surprising that english is seen oftentimes as a gateway to a better life yes through a better job or a better education and uh, it's a very intuitive to think that that might be the case and i think the commercial market has been responding to that idea that english is important um now um, so we i would see these ads all over the place and uh, say that look uh, does stuff really work right so you take a course and you learn a little bit of english right and does that really lead you a ticket to a better life now of course there's a great promise here right that if you take a short term course and you're able to uh, say if you uh, grew up in hyderabad in a more traditional setup um and then you learn english and therefore it uh, helps open up opportunities in a more formal sector kind of employment place of which also hyderabad has a very large booming population of firms right that could offer that can one make that transition and is a short term english course that kind of ticket right so we decided to uh, actually do a study on whether or not a short term english course can actually help do that and so we picked a course where uh, which is a reasonably uh, popular course with many centers located around the city around eight centers geographically all over the city and we said uh, irrespective of exactly who's providing this course can studying english spoken english for 80 hours help get a better job right through better interviewing and then um it, conditional on getting that job does it help actually raise earnings which is what as an economist i am you know kind of a, a thing that i'm interested in so that was the motivation that we were uh, uh, for our work and so uh 
the way we conducted this uh, study is to actually buy a lot of vouchers from a company. Okay. okay. Right. From the same uh, English speaking. The English speaking provider yes. and said that thanks for these vouchers and what we're going to do. And so these vouchers were either for 100% uh, off of the fee um, or 50% off of for the fee. And actually, we also got some dummy vouchers, which gave a 0% discount. Yeah. Right. And uh, we went to a bunch of college students um, who had self-reported that their English was not so good. Right. So these are college students across the city that themselves said that uh, their English isn't so good. And they were all in the final year. So next year they would be looking for a job. Right. So uh, so I think that's a nice target population that uh, these are the young people of Hyderabad in their final year about to enter the workforce. And what we did is to uh, go to their homes um, from a very we conducted a very large census of uh, college students. Uh, We picked those who didn't have very good English and self-reported did not have very good English. And then we went to their homes, about 445 of these students, uh, and randomly offered them one of the three vouchers. Right. Right. So we conducted a survey and then gave them one of these vouchers. And then we waited to see what would happen. Uh, We thought that uh, the people who would take on the, get a 100% discount on the voucher, are more likely to go for an English language course, an 80-hour English language course. And at the end of it, uh, we'd follow them after a year or two years to see what happened to their jobs and what happened to their earnings. And so we found that actually very few students actually took up the course. Yeah. Okay. Right? Okay. Even and though they, they themselves said that they were uh, not too proficient. And they were the interested, in the, in, yeah. interested in taking a course as well. Okay. Right? And so it turned out that there are... Um, the number of students who actually took up the course was only 10% of the overall uh, group that we liked. And so uh, we were uh, scratching our heads and then we said, what's the case? Why isn't it that students are taking up these courses? So we decided to go out and survey all of them again and ask them, what happened? (laughs) Why didn't you take the course? (laughs) Right? And so uh, what we learned from this uh, exercise was something very important, uh, which I think has general uh, lessons for skill development. So what the uh, voucher was really doing is relaxing what is a financial constraint to participation in a skill development program, in this case, the skill to learn English. So the first lesson was that in some ways the voucher worked. The take up amongst those who got the 100% uh, off voucher was much higher than those who got the 50% off. So 23% of those who got the uh, 100% off actually took up the course. 10% of those who got the 50% off took up the course. And nearly no one who got a no discount took up the course. It's not surprising, yeah. right? Yeah. They didn't get a discount, so why should they take the yeah. course? So the fact that, uh, you know, the more discount you got, the more likely you are to take a course, actually to us, uh, it taught us that the financial constraints are binding. Hmm. means that if the courses become cheaper... Then more people. Then, then more, more people, people take up, right? So that's yeah. lesson number one. But still, even with the 23% take up, uh, it's still a low take up level. Okay, so and so why is it that young people aren't taking up the course? And so the answer is that there are actually many other constraints apart from financial constraints that also are barriers to take up. And these include the constraint of time. Yes, sir. Yeah. So final year students, college students, are very busy people. Yes, they're very yeah. busy people. Yeah. And then even an 80-hour course, which could perhaps maybe improve their professional lives, is difficult to go for. Yeah. Okay. 
right? Uh, it, there are costs to travel as well. So Hyderabad traffic is notorious yes. and public transport takes a lot of effort. Uh, so these are also things that uh, prevent people from taking up. The further the centers are from your college, yeah. uh, the less likely you are to take up. Yes. If the center and the college are right next door, yes, then the students tend to take up the course. So um, I think the, uh, there are also other constraints as well. So if you have a bit of a background in English, then you don't take, take on the up. course. Now, I think there's two lessons over here. One is that it could be that because you already know English, not surprisingly, mm-hmm. You don't take up the course. But if you know a little bit of English, in some ways it becomes a barrier to you taking up more English. Because you think you know English. Yes, and you think you're fine. You think you're fine. (laughs) Whereas it might be that you're not yet perfect. And so a little bit of knowledge is actually a barrier to acquiring more knowledge. So I think uh, these are the big lessons that we drew from this exercise. Uh, uh, And so... So so, so because you said finally students were... uh, busy with their lives mm-hmm. because it was their final year mm-hmm. uh, can uh, can this uh, this same exercise mm-hmm. uh, gain some sort of or give us some sort of an insight into how maybe first if, if the exercise was done was perhaps with maybe first or second year students mm-hmm. uh, would we somehow get some insight into their lives because they have no more time now mm-hmm. and uh, maybe that can yeah. just uh, so uh, I think the big insight that comes out of this is that uh, it might be possible to do English language training earlier exactly. with language training it's always the case that the younger you are the more you learn yeah. now English you don't have to motivate people to learn English everyone understands right. that it's important language yeah. especially people in Hyderabad know that it's important yeah. um, and so uh I think that the travel costs, the fact that uh, it's a different institute, all add to the barriers. And one of the policy lessons that come out of it is that you might want to integrate English language skills into the college curriculum. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As something that colleges should teach. Now, it can be fun. Yeah. There's no reason to make it... Uh, very pedantic like yeah. you know sixth grade kind of yeah. English grammar uh, English grammar kind of uh, uh, setup we could make English language skills fun to teach in college time uh, we could have theater we could have uh, literature society all this yes. stuff and that way students might, might be interested in it it could be still uh, you know tested so that students have that little bit of a motivation to make yeah. sure that they study all the stuff yeah. but I think uh, integrating the English skills into the college yeah. curriculum would be an important step. Yeah, and okay. also, you know, from what I'm hearing, like, if you change how you teach English, mm-hmm. like, broadly the pedagogy and mm-hmm. make it more interesting, that could also probably affect take-up. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. no one likes to study boring stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and which is also very interesting, sir, because uh, in these colleges, uh, I, I think at least in the first year, they have a subject called English. And... Then they just let let it go for some reason in their second, third, fourth years. Yeah. Like if if this was a uh, BA degree, maybe three years, and engineering is fourth. For yeah. example, I studied in a local studied in a local college, and the first year had English. Mm-hmm. And so for I was just thinking from the point of view. So first years may may actually not even go for one of these English speaking courses mm-hmm. that you speak of. Yeah. So uh, yeah. maybe second, third, yeah. second or third years a... may go yeah. eventually. So. And it and, just popped up in my head. Yeah, no, and, sorry. and also, this is not the first time you've actually looked at how people can learn English or you have uh, an interest in language more generally, right? Yeah. Like, even before this, you have a paper where you study how 
uh, when in colonial India, people were taught in districts, in languages that were different from the district language, literacy rates were lower. Mm-hmm. So how so how do you come across this research focus that mm-hmm. you want to look at how when you learn, does the language you're taught in affect your learning outcomes? Yeah. So how did you come across that? So, so the uh, study that you're referring to is essentially taking a look at what is happening to the medium of instruction that was taught. Yes. That schools teach in, and if it's the same as a student's mother tongue or not. Yes. So imagine if you're a Telugu speaker at home, yes. but you're taught in Urdu in the school. Yes. Do you study as well and understand as well as if you were taught in Telugu in your school? Yes. And so this is a this is the question. Uh, you might not learn as much when you're being taught in a language which is different from the language that you're ordinarily ta- uh, taught in, or that you ordinarily speak at at home. So, of course, the uh, nice thing is that in South India, we have many languages taught. Yes. And all of these are important languages. Telugu, Tamil, uh, Malayalam, Kannada, Marathi, Urdu, so on and so forth. And uh, that uh, the during colonial times, the organization of states, of provinces in India, as well as the Madras presidency, looked very different from what it does right now, this modern Indian state, South Indian states, it's a very different organization. So uh, you had the giant Madras presidency, which uh, as well as the princely state of Travancore, uh, Hyderabad, Hyderabad, and Mysore. And so uh, in in each of these different regions, you had a different language used as a medium of instruction in the schools. So for instance, in the uh, Nizam's territory in Hyderabad, you had Urdu as the dominant language of instruction. Uh, In the Telugu speaking districts of uh, what is today Andhra Pradesh state, you had Telugu as the medium of instruction. In a lot of what is today Tamil Nadu, you had Tamil, along with Malabar, and certain districts of Karnataka, you had Tamil as the medium of instruction. In Travancore, you had Malayalam. And in a lot of the northern, what is today the northern Karnataka area, you had Marathi as this medium of instruction. In Mysore, of course, you had Kannada. So what this created was some districts where kids spoke, say, Kannada at home, but were being taught in Marathi in their school. Yeah. Yes, because the district belonged to that. Exactly. Area. In other places, think about, you know, say, Madurai district in Tamil Nadu. You had children who spoke Tamil at home and were being taught in Tamil, Tamil in, the school. in the school. So now we can start to compare, compare these two regimes. So you either had a match with the language spoken at home or a mismatch with the language spoken at home. And now let's take a look at what happened to educational outcomes. Yeah. Back then, sir. In the 1950s, 60s, and so on and so forth. So, of course, many of your uh, listeners know that in 1956, we had the reorganization of states. And South India, modern boundaries of South India essentially came into being at that time. Uh, So, uh, you had the state of Andhra Pradesh, which was created from all the Telugu-speaking districts. Tamil Nadu, which was created from the Tamil-speaking districts. Kerala, which was created from the uh, Malayalam-speaking districts. And Karnataka spoken from, uh, created from the Kannada-speaking districts. So uh, you had this reorganization, which is essentially a fix yeah. to these language mismatches that happened during yeah. colonial times. Yeah. And so with the new states, the language of instruction implemented was that of the medium of the main la- official language of the state. Yes. And so now, after 1956, everything was fixed correctly. Yeah. And so, but of course, there is this old colonial mismatch. And does that create persistence in yeah. educational underachievement? 
right amongst those who did not get their mother tongue instruction right and so we are trying to see uh, what happened as a result and uh, what i found is that uh, the educational levels were on average 20% lower in the mismatched in the mismatched uh, districts compared to the well matched territories and this uh, under underachievement in education lasted to the 1990s so it took 40 years for the mismatch to be corrected Right. But the important lesson is that linguistic reorganization worked. Well, it did correct it. It eventually. did correct it. it eventually did correct yeah. it. And, and so, um, so possibly now we should uh, do. Do you advocate uh, us uh, pursuing such a thing in uh, large scale? For example, getting in vocational courses. What I advocate also, is that uh, schools should teach in mother tongue. Okay. Right. Right. At least yeah. schools. A- at least for young children, okay. they yeah. should be taught in mother tongue. and uh, i think that's a very important thing now many people say that with the increasingly diverse india with people living migrating to different parts of india how are we going to achieve that i think technology has a very important role to play yeah. uh, right yes. uh, and also uh, the traditional uh, educational commissions which uh, and i had advocated the three yeah. language formula right okay. the children should be taught in their mother tongue but they should also learn english as a second language as a second language and a third language which is a third indian language children have a remarkable facility for learning new languages yeah and we should allow for that okay right? yes yes and so that uh, of course the main instruction can be initially in the mother tongue and we can uh, allow because we are teaching multiple languages then allow for english language instruction or other language instruction at higher levels but initial instruction should be in the mother tongue right okay Okay. But it's also interesting that you say that, you know, initial instruction should be in the mother tongue, mm-hmm. but we were going through an op-ed uh, in Mint which quoted your work among others mm-hmm. and argued for even higher education mm-hmm. uh, to be translated to native language, so like a mm-hmm. uh, Feynman lectures in physics yeah. in say, you know, Marathi or Hindi. Yeah. Uh which which seemed very nice to me because I'm Mathil and uh Saurav Bengali. um and like the prospect of reading feynman lectures in mathi just sounded you know really yeah interesting. this is i think that there should be just much more content right? yeah yes, so, in different languages yes. so, so yeah. not only should we have the english language classics from the west being translated into english indian languages yeah. but we should have a lot more cross indian yeah. language translations as well exactly. uh, you know tagore has read in english yes. in in bengali but he's also read in english, english and exactly. hindi Uh, and similarly there are uh, poets there are yeah. writers there are the scientific classics uh, all of these should be uh, translated into different languages uh, for translation yeah. uh, historically the barrier was having people who knew both the languages yeah. who masters at two languages and be willing to do the yeah. translation work but i think uh, with more and more technology at play we might be able to overcome the translation problem yes. fairly easily yeah. and there was also another interesting prospect that we were discussing and eventually you can please tell us whether you advocate for it or not mm-hmm. so for example russians they have you have journals in russian so you have you have a lot of academic papers so i was just thinking whether we can have academic papers in hindi and urdu so do you advocate something like that absolutely okay yeah. all the way i mean right from school to right that's me yeah okay. yeah and so this is what you've done in the past so going forward what are the further how would you uh scale up or like what are the other questions in these areas that you're looking at right now so uh, a lot of my work in the future will be thinking trying to think about reasonable ways to improve educational quality right 
Okay. And there are multiple dimensions to this. Uh, one of the things that we've been noticing is that uh, can we uh, use the curriculum to come up with interesting, uh, use the curriculum to address important social problems. Right. So in Haryana state of India, uh, I've been working with a non-profit, the state government, as well as other researchers right. to uh, help uh, perhaps close the gender gap right. using pedagogical improvements. Yeah. So can we use the school system yeah. and have more gender positive messages and built into the curriculum yes. so that attitudes evolve yes. and yeah. more gender equality is achieved uh, both in behavior as well as outcomes simply because the curriculum has taught students better messages at a fairly young age and during their adolescence. Yeah. So I think of that as a very promising uh, project. I hope that yeah. uh, it's uh, pointing to improvements in social outcomes Yes. Yeah. using the school system yes. mm. and similarly we can think of other kinds of innovations yeah. that we can try out in the school system so that if they're positive uh, yeah. then state governments can then adopt them for yeah. the entire schools yeah it's interesting you say that uh, in terms of technological in, uh, innovations mm-hmm. uh, because a few days ago Baiju's which mm-hmm. is an online learning app raised 540 million mm-hmm. uh, and I think today or yesterday, Topper, which is another mm-hmm. technological solution, you know, raised uh, money, mm-hmm. more money for their thing. So there is definitely a, a growing awareness of how technological innovations could help. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so, and, and the and, cool thing yeah. is that uh, earlier delivery was a big problem. Yeah. And today, all students, or at least all locations, students and their parents have access to smartphones. smartphones. Yes. And a lot of bandwidth. Yeah. yeah. And so they learn a lot of things using technology. Yeah. Exactly. And it's what these firms are doing is essentially creating high quality content. content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incidentally, incidentally, that's what the ad actually shows too. Mm-hmm. Right? A child knows something that the parents don't. Yeah. And he kind of goes and tries and communicates and then the celebrity just comes and kind of validates that thing. That yeah. Please listen to your children. Yeah. 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 They probably know a little more than you do. <laughs> yeah, and, um, so, and so 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 that the Haryana project is something that you are currently working on, right? Mm-hmm. The the break with breakthrough and breakthrough, yes, yes. Um, so which is also very interesting. That we also briefly went through it. Um, oh, YouTube. Uh, oh yes, we, we saw, saw a couple of their videos yeah, 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 on yeah, what yeah, their yeah, interventions yeah, actually yeah, are. Yeah. Um, it was really it's it's fascinating, and you know you've chosen Haryana, mm-hmm. which is like oh if it works there then mm-hmm. it you know. Uh, probably work everywhere I mean it may or may not yeah. but it's very interesting to see if it will work there yeah. um, so so this is so something you're seeing we also found a very interesting paper of yours mm-hmm. which is very different where you did a lab experiment to see whether if you had asymmetric punishments for bribe taking <laughs> uh, how it would affect um, so we were just going through your papers and we're like so how does this paper figure into the whole research thing because so uh, I, so this uh, paper on bribery yeah. came about because uh, I saw all this anti-corruption movement on TV ah, okay, and okay. Uh, I also wanted to contribute something to anti-corruption <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, so but I decided that as a teacher and researcher yeah, I cannot go out and uh, be protesting yeah. in the streets or anything like right. that but one thing I can do is to do research so yeah. uh, let me uh, yeah. investigate how a particular anti-corruption yeah. policy in this case it's a whistleblowing poss- yeah. policy, policy yes. so leniency for whistleblowers who complain yeah. about uh, corruption 
corruption. Yeah. How can that uh, potentially help yeah. reduce the kind of uh, sort of retail corruption, yeah. what I call harassment bribes. Harassment, yeah. harassment yes, yes. bribes. Uh, can we potentially use that? Yeah. Right. And so uh, we went out and did uh, experiments with the students in Hyderabad. Yeah. So yes. these are from uh, Bitspilani and Nalsar and uh, Hyderabad University. Yeah. And uh, tried to learn if uh, such a policy could work with real people. Yeah. And students are real people. Yes. And they have had, unfortunately, experience paying bribes. Yes. So uh, we set up a scenario where some officer or official has asked for a bribe. Yeah. And then uh, if the bribe giver is yeah. also not held responsible, yeah. are they then the bribe giver more likely yeah. to complain about the situation? Yeah. And I think that's... a uh, yeah, and it was a very nice very design, yeah. uh, where if, if there was a symmetric, then they complained more. Yeah. And then if there was a threat of retaliation, it kind of reduced, but it was still more if it was like both were punished. Yes. So it was very interesting to see those designs. Yes. Yeah. And the probabilities also, right? The probabilities of getting cost increase significantly right? mm-hmm. when you report yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was a very interesting paper because uh, we had briefly talked about this this thing like mm-hmm. the I think it was the Kaushik Basu paper mm-hmm. in 2011 and we had talked about it mm-hmm. so it was really interesting to see a lab experiment <laughs> done in Hyderabad yeah. it's like Hyderabad students from Hyderabad yeah. and it was really interesting to, for us to see yeah. um, and obviously just you know uh, I know you also have to push off but like you are you do something very interesting where you do a lot of interesting research, but you are also based in India. Mm-hmm. Like apart from a lot of development economics research, they're usually people based in universities abroad and they're working here. So how do you think you being placed where the research is happening helps or, uh, you know, what are the unique challenges and features of being located where you do the research? So I think the great thing about being based in India is that uh, you get a lot of research ideas just by walking around. <laughs> so yeah. uh, There's so much happening around. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you understand social situations much more. You don't have to read about them. You live yeah. those social situations. Nice. And then the solutions also uh, are, in some ways, solutions that we want to test are those yeah. which are practical. And because we live here, I interact with people like you all the time. And, yeah. you know, the people who I... Uh, you know those solutions all the time as well and so the the advantage of being in Hyderabad in India is that you come up with both these problem as well as the practical solution yeah fairly readily right I mean you don't have to read about it from someone else's work you experience it on a day-to-day basis and so I think that's the cool thing the other thing that I enjoy particularly about being at ISB about being in uh, Hyderabad is that oftentimes there's a direct uh, consumer of my research as well. Uh, I can take the ideas from my research and uh, take them into the classroom. My students hear about asymmetric punishment and, uh, you know, peer effects amongst business school students. All of these are uh, ready audiences, perhaps captive ones. But but, uh, that's very interesting because that was going to be actually actually going to be my next question. Yeah. Yeah. Because you teach in uh, ISB too. Yeah. So how does uh, if uh, I mean I'm sure it does, but how does research and teaching kind of uh, intersect and where does it? Yeah. So this was this was this was very nice. Yeah. you can actually take your research back into your classroom yeah. sure They're, all my research is based on sound economic principles yeah. so insofar that uh, I teach economics at ISB it makes complete sense to use yeah. the examples that come out of research yeah exactly. and the research tends to be very new fresh rather than doing 20 or 30 year old case studies yes. yeah. 
and you also had a and not only that like isb also can be a source of new research where you have papers where you study you know peer effects and how if you're central to a network if you have large number of friends or mm-hmm. how that affects your uh, outcomes yeah. uh, labor market outcomes so yeah it's really interesting to see you do such good work here yes um and i think that's all all the stuff yeah. that i had yeah. uh, to ask do you have any more sarav no i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> that was that was actually going yeah. to be my last question yeah. Yeah. because i kind of teaches over here so yeah. But uh, that's about it. Thank you uh, so much for talking to us. Talking no, to I you. enjoyed it, and thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, thank you for coming.